right, what's up? It's the People's Show. Dan Riccio and Bick Nazar here in the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider. Supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. A lot to come over the next uh, three hours with us here in the Kintech studio. We'll have uh, some Canucks talk, some continued reaction to the Puce Suter signing. Uh, he was on the morning show this morning, and um, I was uh, on the golf course in, uh, I, I guess, Redmond-ish, Washington, uh, when when the news came down. On Friday. Friday? That was a nice course you were at. What was it called? Echo Falls? Uh, yeah, that was... Uh, I played three courses in three days. Uh, like, for people who say golfers aren't real athletes, man, you try walking three like three or four days in a row. Okay? Get a cart, Reed. Get a cart. <laughs> That's the move. That is the move. Um, that is definitely the move. And in, in any case, uh, P.U. Suter, member of the Canucks. I want to dive into it. People are really mad at the uh, hypothetical lines that I posted on Twitter a little bit uh, earlier today. Justify yourself. Um, you're like all angry and upset right now. I'm, I'm just a sea of emotions. Sweated out 90 I, minutes with uh, Manchester United right now. We were talking right before the show. Be like, hey, who's starting the show? I was like, you know what? I need an hour <laughs> relaxation after what I just watched for the last 90 minutes. Two hours, apparently, with extra time nowadays. Uh, you know what? Sometimes, like, you know, being great off the start of the season isn't always... What matters most? Arsenal is a great look. You testament can't, to you that. You can't fact. say that in Vancouver. <laughs> you can't say. You know what doesn't matter? The start of the season. Well, you still need results. Can't, yeah. Okay, that's fair. You still that's need results, fair. but like you don't have to be playing your best at the start of the season. This is definitely a grow into the season type <laughs> performance. At least that's the way you'd want to sell yes. it to yourself. The thing is, that, is there was a lot of full. slick performances over the weekend. We'll get into it later on in the show. Yes, but there was like. A lot of teams are like, hey, man, they, they put some work in in preseason. You can see the plans forming. Yes. Manchester United summer has been very clunky, and uh, it, it manifested in a performance in such today. Um, we'll, uh, we'll dive into the uh, Premier League a little bit later on in the show. Uh, match day one now in the books for all you uh, Premier League nerds out there like Bick and myself. Uh, Bick and I. Currently hey, you know co-leading what? the uh, fantasy Premier League uh, league. Big big shout out to uh, yesterday or last week, uh, all the people that were chiming in for the EPL content. Okay, so you know what? we're going to keep it going this week. Sat needs a week off to digest the uh, Moises Caicedo signing. So um... <laughs> we were live on air <laughs> for most of that. It was unbelievable. <laughs> Sat convinced it's like. I don't know. It's like I know he's got this medical schedule in Liverpool. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. And then just going through the emotions, and then late Fabrizio's like, still not done. And this just the the Jack Nicholson like Joker esque smile that came across that face during the show. You can check it out on our web, on uh, our Twitter page. Yeah. Uh, he was going through it very much like me right now. It's like sweaty, but hey, three points is three points. Yeah. And uh, I was storming the pitch, uh, trying to make sure Juventus does not buy Romelu Lukaku. <laughs> um, I can't believe you guys did that. It's like every time I take a week away, somebody is... Uh, memeing you? Memeing me. Oh, yeah. I Should be par for the course. Like show prep, any of that? I was like, no, guys, <laughs> I, I'm opening up Photoshop and I got to put this work in. So, um, Pew Suter. It's, uh, it's kind of interesting um, in that... The inbox wants to know, does this mean Amazon warehouse uh, employees are athletes too? Hashtag golf. 650, 650. That's a lot of steps they're getting in. Yes. It's a lot of steps. It's a lot of steps. Good shout in the inbox. 650, 650. Um, 
Keep those coming in. 650-650 Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Uh, Pew Suter. Mm-hmm. A signing uh, actually sat, sort of hinted at, in the early stages of free agency. Uh, so early July we're talking about here on uh, on Canuck Central. Made a lot of sense at the time and continues to make a lot of sense for at least the you know available cap space for this team the different types of things that they can do with this roster and what they needed to sort of round out their forward group. And I feel like in a world with not a lot of great options, Pew Suter at least checked some of the boxes that could help the Canucks Mm -hmm. or could at least sell me on what the Canucks needed to add ahead of the season and had the ability to add ahead of the season. And in the overall, that's sort of my takeaway with – the general build that Patrick Alvin has taken with this team, it's, I don't have a lot to play with. I don't have a lot to work with. What's my best avenue to making the most competitive team that I can possibly ice? And he had a very clear decision of finding players that have defensive capabilities that can fill out those roles, maybe open up more offensive duties for the likes of JT Miller and Elias Pettersson. And it's quite clear. Like, you look at the totality of the offseason now, and Patrick Alvin had a very clear plan in pace of what he wanted to add to his team. And even with limited resources, he was able to do a pretty good job of adding some of those defensive pieces. Okay, so I got a question. Yeah. Because, look, I, I said the same things on, on Friday of, like, hey, the, the role this creates for someone like JT Miller mm-hmm. and, and what – what can he can do offensively. And again, I believe those ideas, but it's also Miller's still going to be first guy over the boards on a PK comes. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's also like, look, we said the same things about Jay Beagle, about Brandon Sutter. What is it going to do for Bo Horvat and all these things? We've said all these things, but the team isn't one. Mm-hmm. And when you struggle, what's a coach going to do? rely on his best players. Yes. So, again, these are nice ideas, mm-hmm. and I agree with the philosophy of how a theory can play out, but it's only relevant if the team wins. Right. Then you can start managing minutes, and then you can start you know, massaging players for long-term benefits. It's the same conversation we have that with Thatcher Demko. It's like, hey, 55, 57 games is the perfect wheelhouse. It ends up, it ends up happening by December. 62 it's- games. <laughs> Forget even 62. It's like you're on pace for 62. Right. But you break down Mm -hmm. because we're six points out of a playoff spot by November and you start pushing the button like, hey, I need a result tonight. Got to play you on a back to back. I got to do this. I got to do this. And you start making a list of all the things you are going to concede on rather than be like, oh, I I can trust this guy in this role. Now, that doesn't mean P.U. Suter won't be good. Doesn't mean Teddy Bluger won't be good in their roles. But it's just naturally what happens if the team doesn't win. Suddenly, a, a coach is like, hey, I'm just going to put JT Miller and Elias Pedersen for 22 minutes. Okay, but comparing um, Pew Suter and Teddy Bluger to Sheldon Dries and rookie Nils Oman is yes. maybe a little bit unfair sure. because both have a much larger and more credible track record of actually succeeding in defensive minutes. And that's the difference, I think, between last year and this year and people will say oh yeah well Rick Tockett and 
all the things he said last year, he wanted to not have to play Elias Pettersson and JT Miller over 20 minutes a night. He didn't want to have to run Quinn Hughes into the ground for over 25 minutes a night. And then what happened? He did all those things <laughs> because he didn't have – Look, he can say whatever he wants to say about those players, but in his mind, in the way that he deployed his roster, he clearly didn't have a ton of trust in guys not named Elias Pettersson and JT Miller to play the middle of the ice in really big moments. So that's always a part of the equation. The thing is, Pugh Suter and Teddy Bluger both do those things. Mm -hmm. And Jay Beagle, as you mentioned earlier, and even Brandon Sutter to a certain extent, and when they were healthy and they were playing, you know, they did their jobs. Mm-hmm. The Canucks had a credible penalty kill with those guys being the biggest parts of it and didn't have to really lean into their top guys playing in those types of minutes. I'm not I, I, I'm not sold yet that Pusuter and Teddy Bluger can do all of those things because Sutter and Beagle were actually really good in those aspects of their game, yeah. but... To begin with, it's really about deployment. Yes. Will they be trusted in those moments where it's like, hey, if, if it's a defensive zone draw, it's not JT Miller or Elias Pettersson coming well, out. Well, Teddy Bluger, 81% of his shift starts mm-hmm. were in the defensive zone last year. It's the Bluger zone. <laughs> that, the that's OB Jay spot. Beagle territory. Yeah. It's like the Canucks re-signed left-handed Jay Beagle. <laughs> but less face-off prowess. And didn't give him a four-year deal. Yeah. Which is big. Yeah. You know, that's and three million dollars. <laughs> Both big yes. parts of the equation. Um, so and he also was coming off a of Stanley Cup, coincidentally. But didn't have the same role, wasn't Bluger on. Bluger just had his day with the company yeah, the other day. Was, <laughs> wasn't eating up the final minute of yeah. uh, of of regulation time when they were closing out their Stanley Cup sort of thing. But similar type of player, similar types of impacts. Pew Suter, I think there's um what what could be interesting with, with Suter is is there a little bit, I don't know, about more offense? Okay, so I actually think there is because is it relative to who he was playing with? Right. Right? He hasn't played on very good teams. Now, Chicago, they didn't even really care about defense, so more minutes, more chances to create off the rush, all of that sort of stuff. Maybe that helps his goal total. He's. I would imagine he's going to get the same amount of minutes as he did in his previous stops here, but... In theory, the team Vancouver should be better than what he's had in Detroit, what he's had in Chicago. So he's not really a primary assist guy mm-hmm. um, in the numbers. At least that's what the numbers sort of show. And you sort of start to pencil him in next to Connor Garland. And it's like, well, that kind of makes sense. You know, he's got mm-hmm. a decent shot, scores at a decent clip for a third line-ish type player. And maybe that sort of works. And you know, that's what kind of you know, intrigues me about this is the Canucks sort of have a credible forward group top to bottom now. I'm Mm -hmm. still unsure about some of the fits. But again, this comes with a very obvious realization, like there's only so much you can do with what you had available to you. Sure. Not wanting to move draft picks. Keep in mind, you know, the next three-year window as well as trying to be competitive as early as this year and building towards something bigger in the next short to medium term. And this is kind of the way to go about doing it. How are you able to build a higher upside roster? Well, it's allowing time for the likes of Lekaramaki and some others and maybe uncovering some other options. You have a lot more flexibility in free agency next year if you want to play in that forum. 
next summer, but you just didn't have those options this year. So this is what was available to you. And I think these were some of the best options that the Canucks could have executed. And now you look at a third line, depending on how you want to look at it, probably Connor Garland and Pew Suter are playing a lot of minutes together this year. And I don't think that's something that will like, it's not going to be the best third line in the league, Mm -hmm. but it should at least give the Canucks some credible scoring depth to a certain level. It's the same conversation you have with the penalty kill, right? Can you go from bad to at least average? Mm -hmm. And look, hats off to a lot of players that played that role. Nils Oman, Sheldon Dries had to fill in. And, you know, considering they were making their first real steps in the NHL, more Oman than Dries, again, had a lot of people kind of nodding their head like, all right, I I can see something here. This isn't just like a... Uh, dead end for development. There, there's, there is something there, but they were very much thrust into roles that they were not going to succeed in. You bring in Bluger, you bring, you bring in a uh, suitor, and now there's just more bodies, and you allow those players more Oman than Dries to develop at a more natural state. Go get real minutes in roles that you're better suited for, and go learn at the AHL level because now it's, it's just going to be tough for someone like Nils Oman to make the day one NHL lineup. I hope he does because that's just a fantastic outcome because he's clearly put in some steps. But you're, 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 you have some players that are NHL proven. We can debate how well, but at least they've played significant minutes in the NHL and you can see there's a baseline to what they can do. Suter with some offensive production. Teddy Bluger with the defensive ability. As you mentioned, 80% of his starts coming in the defensive zone. So there's notable defined roles for them and they've done it credibly with with, with when they're asked to do it so the depth is going to be there and I, I just I just wonder how it all shakes out now. yeah and at least that's something as much as you put out your lines and much as I sit here and kind of craft the lines the one thing I do like and I'm sure management is like hey we have an idea of what the lines we want to be but this is at least a group now where the players get to decide it mm-hmm. where we've come into camps and it's like yeah, this guy's competing with Brock Pesser, but realistically, like Brock's going to win that one. Yeah, at least like when that- Nils Hoaglander won his spot on the team. Who was he beating out? He was playing against himself. Yeah, <laughs> but now it's, again, I'm open to the idea of like, hey, Bluger versus Suter. Yeah. That's an intriguing camp battle. Maybe Suter's got the edge because of the offensive upside, but let's play it out. Let's let us let the players decide who's going to earn that spot. We've mentioned the, the winger, and we're going to yeah. get into it here because that's the tweet that uh, set people off today. Yes. But... At least there's a battle there. At least there's a conversation. And we don't have to come into it with rigid expectations of, oh, this guy has to be here and there's no other debate. I want to see who wins second line wing battle. I think there's an incumbent, but let's let this play out come training camp. And there's a real, um, like, there's also a message here to, to Nils Hoaglander and Vasily Podkolzin. Like, another body in the mix. Yeah. As much as it's not your position, there's just another person that's going to be on the roster. Yes. You got a two-year deal with something. You know, 1.6 is not significant, but it's not insignificant. Yep. So there's just another body in there. And now of 13, well, you probably want to keep around. Suter may play center. And, uh, you know, now you have Suter at third-line center, Bluger at fourth-line center. That means Nils Oman might get kicked to the wing, and that might take a spot from Potkolzin sure, yeah. or or Hoaglander. So, okay, you, you sort of alluded to it, the um, uh, ratioed tweet that's going around right now on Canucks Twitter, at Dan Riccio underscore. Uh, does this look like a playoff team? 
You can answer this question 650 650 on the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox if you have any disagreements with how I've shaped this Canucks lineup. Send them there, and I'm sure Wait, you is will. That, is, is that really how you framed it? Yes. Oh, okay. I didn't even notice that part. I just saw the lines. <laughs> and I was like, let's get after this. Does this look like a playoff team? Kuzmenko, Pedersen, Mikheyev, Giuseppe Miller, Besser, Beauvillier, Suter. What are you laughing about? No, Bo- I just. Beauvillier, Suter, Garland, Joshua Bluger, Pod Colson, Hughes, Susie, Cole, Heronic, and Myers, Demko, Martin. There is your Canucks lineup. You can debate who should be the extras in there. Probably two defensemen. I like how you said the extras. And one forward. Uh, it's probably like Nils Oman or Nils Hoaglander, one of the Nilses. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, Hirose, Rathbone, and Matt Irwin, those types are kind of battling it out for the seventh and eighth defenseman spots on this roster. Um, the most obvious... I don't even know if we have to wait for the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox to kick this in, but PDG PDG on line two. My point with this is, and I know that's the one that most people got uh, mm-hmm. upset about on Twitter. How can you be a playoff team with a career AHLer on your second line? Well, you're ignoring the fact that PDG performed pretty well in his minutes last year on that line, scored at a above 30-point pace in his... 30 games played with the Canucks last year and ended up that line. Did Giuseppe Miller Besser had the second most minutes of any Canucks forward line playing together last season. And while the results weren't miraculous, they were credible and they were playing at about a 50% goal share. So decent yes, for a second line, taking a lot of heavy minutes. Okay. So here's what I want to ask. You just said above 30 point pace. Yes. For a top six forward. Is that good enough? Yeah, I was going to say, is that good for a top six forward or is that good for Phil DiGiuseppe? I think he's a vastly underrated player, right? Yes. And doesn't get recognized for a lot of the work that he does. And I think there's more offense in there. I just don't think that the raw point production is really what they're looking for from the third guy on a line and that's fine i totally accept that but are we judging this all in relation to him playing in a role and, and again his his roster spot was basically created because Ilya mckay was out yes and then bovillier went up a spot mm-hmm. and bovillier's there and pdg gets to go up a spot in a scenario where Ilya mckay and anthony bovillier are still here those two are the incumbents to me now right. I'm here for someone knocking them out. But I look at this and I say, Mikheyev can go with Miller. Bovillier can go with Pedersen. You got Kuzmenko, you got Besser. As much as I really like PDD, PDG, I just don't see a scenario where that unfolds. So he played like, and sure, it was in the absence of Mikheyev. So that's a big part of this conversation. He played like the best fit on that line with mm-hmm. Miller and Besser. But I will say, like, he seems to fit with everyone. Yes. Because... Because he he, he understands what he has to do precisely. in order to have success. He's not trying to he reached the showcase his skill. Well, he just reached the stage of his career where he's like, "What do I have to do to be a full time NHLer?" And to his and credit, I'm going to do that. The couple of times we've seen him in camp, he yes. does it always. Yes, like he's looked good <laughs> multiple training camps. Injuries have played a role, and it's like, oh, I, don't, I just can't get this guy into the line. Yeah. And last season it was like, yes, this is what I wanted to see all the time. Yeah. 
He's just going to be F1. Incredible hard worker. Yeah. Stains his ground along the boards. Does all the things that you don't necessarily always want your star level players to do. Yes. That's going to fit on any line. I wouldn't look, I wouldn't be surprised if he starts training camp in a similar role to where he finished last season. But it's more about what is somebody going to show in order to take him out of that spot. So basically the way I look at it right now is he's the favorite to win that kind of a spot and it's up to somebody else to take him out of that spot. Now, yeah, you can easily say Beauvillier maybe fits there, but I legitimately think PDG showed to be a better fit next to Miller and Besser than Beauvillier ever did. So that I'll agree with. I feel like Beauvillier's spots are next to Pedersen, the third line. Yes. Not next to Miller. That's kind of the way I look at it as well. Whereas and, PDG and I think, can't go with Pedersen, yeah. but he can go with any other line. And I feel they want to reunite the Russians with Pedersen. That's why I feel... Beauvillier might end up being on that third line and you really give Pew Suter a, ch- a chance to see what he could do with a couple of offensively inclined players, guys who score at an above 40 point pace for most of their career in Beauvillier and Garland. And now you have maybe a credible third line that could score and you know Miller and Patterson are going to do what they do and drive some offensive minutes in the top six. So that's kind of the way I think about the Canucks lineup as it's constructed in that tweet that I sent earlier. And I mean, I thought they were a playoff team or should be a playoff mm-hmm. team before they signed Pew Suter. So I'm, of course, still thinking that they are going to be a playoff team next year. I just worry. It's like, why are we trying to make Miller's life harder than it needs to be? <laughs> Was it harder or did PDG make life easier for him? But like McKayev would make his life easier too. Right. It it really comes down to where do they want Mikheyev? Mm-hmm. No, uh, it, really, it really does because you got Pedersen and Kuzmenko. That's a pairing. Yeah, Miller and Besser. Mm-hmm. We can debate if it should be a pairing, but it clearly is. Brock Besser's got a role in the top six. He's given another chance to try to claim that he can score at a, a, a solid rate for a guy making six and change. It's um, we, Mikheyev. We know is going to be in the top six. We just don't know what line. Yes, but to your point. Take the evidence of what it was last year. The attempt is going to be made for McKay of Pedersen Kuzmenko. I just look at Bovillier. It's like it worked on that line. Yes. Would you be okay putting him there and then letting Mikheyev play there? As much as it worked, Rick Tockett always seemed to have some sort of criticism about it. <laughs> sure. Right? But hey, look. You can't really mess with. You can't just make a 30 goal score out of Phil DiGiuseppe. Yes. That's the thing. Yeah. Um, we'll keep taking your texts on this. 650, 650. Uh, Snoop the dog is Di Giuseppe the Biega of the top six. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's not a terrible... Yeah, it's not a terrible comparison. Mm -hmm. Um, The the biggest thing that this lineup is sort of missing is, I think, uh, another high-end scorer. Because as much as... Look, you can say... Beauvillier and McKay have deserved to be there. And That's such a nice thing to ask for on August 14th. Right. You know what this needs? Another high-end scorer. But as I mentioned just earlier, exist. They, they, they just don't There's really no exist. Money reach. There's no money. They, they, they're not out there and available, ready for this team to go and acquire. So, like, there's there's problems in acquiring that. What's a high-end score to you? Like, like how many goals? Probably another 30-goal score oh, or close to it. 
A guy who can credibly score. You're asking for way too much. 20, 25. You're asking for way too much. But you're not going to find that. My point is you're not going to find that. But just in general. like those. But are even Beauvillier to... and Mikheyev aren't those guys. Right, but those are just hard to acquire in general. Yes. If you told me 20 goals, it's like, hey, they just need another, another reliable depth score. Yeah. 20 goals. You know where that comes from? One of Nils Hoaglander and, and Vasily Podkolzin. My point is they're going to have to develop it because that yeah. player's and it's not happening this year. But that's not a bad problem to have. Yes. It's what should be happening, and the time has been put into these players. Yeah. They've certainly had opportunities, but it's now time. At some point, we have to stop this thing of like, oh, potential is always going to be there. To be honest, it's a great conversation to have for Brock Besser. Yeah. We've done this thing, and look, a lot of people have given a, a year grace period. We all understand why. Yeah. But at some point, like, the projection you got to do it just becomes the reality yes and so either you make that step or this is who you are well the, the reality is if the canucks are going to have a second line that is really good you know it, it's going to depend on besser being a much better player than he was last year and that doesn't totally hinge on him scoring a ton because he scored if you just look at the raw total like yeah he scored at an okay pace 56 points or whatever it was that's fine but he wasn't good enough last year in the overall in the aggregate he wasn't good enough and that's where it's got to change i think that's going to help miller score more at five on five if he and besser score more at five on five i don't care who's next to them mm-hmm. <laughs> that's what that's one thing the canucks absolutely need but th- the path they chose this offseason is there's no great options for us to increase our upside offensively, so we're going to plug some holes and keep ourselves flexible while we try to develop that player or we find that player in trade or free agency otherwise. I want to get this one text in. We'll read a couple more on the other side, though. 650-650, they overtake the jet spot and finish eighth. Kings, Oilers, and Vegas, they will not overtake. We can get into more of the playoff conversation on the other side. Uh, Don Taylor is also going to join us. Uh, summertime check-in with the great Don Taylor coming up next on The People's Show. It is Canuck Central in the Kintec studio. No, it's not Canuck Central. It's the People's Show. First day back for it. Yeah, I've made that mistake before. It happens. I'll probably make it again. Felt like Canuck Central with how uh, heavy we were on uh, the Canucks in that first segment. Uh, Mike and Nanaimo. Canucks were top 10 in scoring last year. Goals against is the key to success. So they were a little bit outside the top 10. I think they were 13th in goals scored last year. I did it including empty net goals. Okay. And it was 13th. You were very much like, <laughs> don't count empty net goals. Well, why are we counting empty netters? I just go by the NHL stats, man. Okay. I'm just telling you. As far as pucks that cross the line, mm-hmm. the Canucks finished 13th. Um, so, but we're talking like four goals away from top 10. Uh, facts only. You're a little bit off there, Mike, with your numbers. But... Your point is true. Yes. Goals against is the biggest thing for this Canucks team, and they've sort of showed you that with every offseason move that they've made to this point. They gave up 296 goals last year. It's just 
staggering number. 290, 296 goals they gave up. 298 if you count the empty netters. Okay. They only gave up two empty netters? Allegedly. I don't know. We should we should probably check the numbers yeah. on that. But, okay, 296, 298, wherever your number lies. Close to 300. That's way too many goals to be giving up. And the team closest to them, the only team that made the playoffs anywhere close to the Canucks, the Florida Panthers, 272 goals against. That's a difference of 24. It's a lot. And the Panthers also scored 288 goals. That's so they scored a ton to overcome their defensive inefficiencies. I, th- this is the thing about the Canucks, and I think we're in agreement on this. Even if they reduce the number of goals against, have they done anything to really increase their offensive output this year? And I think it's it's even a bit of a stretch, given Bo Horvat's no longer on the team, that you're even going to get yeah. back to 270 goals scored or 276, whatever it is. But it feels like they're going to try to do this as a group. As a collective. Rather than just, hey, out of your place, yeah. Horvat's 30-plus goals that are out, right? It's, okay, Bovillier, what are you going to provide for a full season now? Replace it in the aggregate. Doing the money ball thing. When I yes. point at you, yes, tell me about the aggregate. <laughs> Suter obviously comes in. He can pop in 14 goals. What's Philip Pronick going to provide? Yeah. Is that another 9 to 10 goals? What's Carson Soucy going to provide? Like That's someone that you know has offensive capabilities to score 10 goals uh, for the Kraken. Uh, is that going to be an option? And then the continued development of someone like uh, Vasily Podkolzin or Nils Hoaglander. Is, is, there, is there one player to directly replace Bo Horvat? No. No. And certainly on the power play, that is going to be something that has to be discovered and, and solved. But do you get a better season from Brock Besser? Do you get a healthier season from Ilya Mikheyev? Can you piecemeal this together while also hoping nothing else bottoms up? That's the issue with kind of doing the aggregate. It's like, hey, it's all well and good to project 11 goals here, 14 goals here, 9 here, and, and you make up 35-someone goals. What if JT Miller you get a 27-goal season from? Yeah. The point is, it's hard to see how they increase their offensive output Mm -hmm. from where it was a season ago. Now, that's not something that won't happen or can't happen, but I'm not betting on it to happen is what I'm telling you. And the more I think about it, the more I wonder how much this Canucks team sort of looks like that last version of Rick Tockett's Arizona Coyotes mm-hmm. that were on the road to the playoffs when the wheels started falling off. They had just traded for Taylor Hall. I think Darcy Kemper got hurt, and you know, things started going haywire, and then the season pause allowed them to get into the play-in round. But it was a very low-event team. They didn't score a ton. They didn't give up much. When the season broke that year, In 2020, they were the third best team by goals against in the National Hockey League. Just 183 goals against. And the Canucks, we all saw the defensive improvements they made after Rick Tockett came in as head coach. It's been the biggest thing that he preached in his time as the Canucks head coach. Everything they've done this offseason is give Rick Tockett more tools to play a... Rick Tockett hockey. Low event hockey style. Yeah. And that's what we're probably going to see next year. It just—it's still stunning to think, though, that you have to like over. If you're going to be low event, 
Yeah. How many goals against do you try to project? 220? Mm-hmm. 230? In, yeah. in today's NHL, 220 is difficult. <laughs> it's difficult. Yeah. Like we're talking, here are the teams that did 220 or less. Rangers, who have Shesterkin. Stars, Ottinger, Heiskin, and all that. Hurricanes, who play their way, Jacob Slavin, and the Bruins. That's it. Those yeah. are four teams. So you're really looking at about 230. A bunch of teams. You're now talking about 14 teams that are basically under 230 goals or less. The Bruins are playing like NHL 23 or something. Like it, it, 174 goals against is like, it doesn't even seem real. Did it, they play a different amount of games from everybody else? Un, <laughs> not normal hockey. <laughs> Plus 125 goal differential. That's, that's, that's yeah. I can't even fathom that. But essentially you're talking about, hey, can you play like the Winnipeg Jets? Can you play like the Minnesota Wild? Can mm-hmm. you play like the New York Islanders? That is somewhat achievable. But again, we're still talking about like very low event teams on a team that just looking at it, you say, hey, this is potentially high flying yeah. team. But I think we have to change what the realities have been for the last four seasons mm-hmm. to where they are now. It's because you're missing someone like Horvat, that's one dynamic player that's now out of the equation of how the goals are created. You just look at this and you think, I, I, I don't see a team that's going to have to rely on itself as being a uh, up and down the ice no. goal creating games. They are uh, the the thing I will say, and it's it's a fairly obvious comment about um, about what happened with that Arizona Coyotes team that Rick Tockett had. It was. Like they didn't have a player of Pedersen's ilk, yeah, or Quinn Hughes's ilk. I mean, they had Oliver Ekman Larson more in his prime at that time, but still, even OEL in his prime, not Quinn Hughes. Um, they didn't even have a JT Miller necessarily. So all of those things apply, and it's it's. I mean, did they even have an Andre Kuzmenko? <laughs> Who was their best center? Was it Derek Stepan on that team or something? Uh, it would have been like a young Clayton Keller. Was yeah. he still playing center at that time? Uh, I don't think so. Christian Dvorak would have been on that team. Yeah. But again, we're, we're talking about like young players trying to take a step. It, it sort of ties into a lot of the uh, rhetoric. Nick Schmaltz, your boy? Yeah, Nick Schmaltz, good player. Um, it, it sort of ties into a lot of the rhetoric we've heard from Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvine since the day that they stepped in here. It, talent isn't necessarily the issue. We don't play as a team, right? It's it's how we play mm-hmm. that's that's been a big part of the issue, and I think that's sort of what they're getting at. They know that they've got some talent at the high end of this roster, but they haven't played well enough as a team to make it mean anything. So how do you get to that point? And I think they feel like they're closer today than they were at any point, and especially with Rick Tockett as head coach. So much of this depends on the penalty kill. Mm-hmm. And also, don't be the worst penalty kill in the league. And also, Thatcher Demko's health. Yes. And can you win enough games to? Well, that Arizona structure team structure the schedule as you wish. If, if, to continue down the line of that Arizona team, they were good defensively, but also Darcy Kemper was playing really right. good hockey. It's when the real uh, yeah Darcy Kemper hipsters started to come out. And uh, I think even Antti Ranta was playing really good, but he he also could not. Aiden Hill was on that team. Um, Future Stanley Cup winning Aiden Hill. <laughs> Rick so, new. so much of this just depends on like, of course, you know, Demko being what we expect him to be. And he was that at the end of the year. If you've heard our conversations with um, Kevin Woodley, he talked about how Demko just loved the new system because it made his reads so much simpler on what the Canucks were going to be giving up. And he knew where the puck was going to come from. Those types of things that helps. The penalty kill is the biggest thing. 
don't be the worst defensive. Like, don't be the worst penalty kill in the league. Can you be twentieth, top twenty? Yes, eighteenth. And that will go a long way to decreasing a like a, a large part of their goals against. The Maybe reason- not all. It won't make up all the gains, but it will make up a big portion of it. Again, we're talking about. 60 some odd goals that you have to hear uh, try to flip. Now there is a stretch of games where you go back and you look. We're talking like mid-December to basically early February where it was it was just like it was crazy. You couldn't even comprehend really and and accurately judge what you were watching. Yes. Because it just it, it was was it was not real hockey. Essentially, is what we were watching. Mm-hmm. All the chaos that was going on with the with the Boudreaux thing, and then the timing of Rick Tockett. It just it was so hard to look at exactly like what was real for the Canucks. And, and I made this point when it was happening, but you know, Spencer Martin got a lot of the blame, and it was like, hey, this goaltending is not real. Well, the defense wasn't real, and you're asking someone who's taken early steps in their professional development to be a savior and essentially they gave up like 120 goals in a 25 game span maybe a 30 game span yeah four goals a game (laughs) that's too much like just right there that's almost the whole total for the Bruins season (laughs) you know what the Bruins put up what 177 it's really close (laughs) it's really close I didn't think about that it's really close in a third or half the season for the Canucks. In in 28 games, uh, I had the stat earlier. Uh, yeah, from from the the Winnipeg game, December 17th, to the Nashville game. Was that the Delia game? Uh, the banging on the... That was the banging on the net game. No, no, no. no. They, they lost 5-1 that game. Oh, okay. So it was shortly thereafter. That was uh, <laughs> December 29th, I think. Oh, yeah. There was uh, two close yeah. Winnipeg games together. Okay. Uh, they lost 5-1, and then they lost to the Predators 5-4 in a shootout in late February. So that's 28 games. Mm-hmm. They give up 119 goals. That's a lot of goals. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. That's basically four goals a game. And even if you just knock that down to three goals a game, which is by no means a great standard <laughs> to have, but now you've shaved off 30 goals, nearly 30 goals. Just, that, just by being okay defensively. Yeah. So, And that happened for six weeks, nearly two months. It, it is essentially the biggest thing about the Canucks sure, right now. Months, yeah. Um, how do you get your goals against down to a level that is more in line with other playoff teams? Okay. So basically any playoff team outside of the Florida Panthers gave up less than 260 goals. So that means you've got to get 30 some odd goals off of your books, close to 40 goals off of your books just to be on the fringe of a credible playoff team defensively. That's asking a lot. So it's continues to be the biggest question. It's the one that they've tried to answer all offseason with the moves that they've made. We'll see if it ends up working out. But, you know, adding another player like Pew Suter potentially does help their cause. And the other thing about this that I guess is is pretty obvious um, – because the cap gymnastics you would have to do if Tanner Pearson was likely to play this season probably doesn't make sense for the Canucks to maybe sign Pew Suter. 
it's a, it's another hint that Tanner Pearson is not going to play this upcoming season with the Vancouver Canucks, despite you know the the fact that there's a real chance he does get into training camp. It, it, it always felt like excess, excessive optimism. Yes. Uh, we'll, we'll see how it ends up playing out exactly, but it might be a thing where he gets to training camp and is unable to pass a medical sort of a mm-hmm. situation. That's something I think we can glean from the Canucks being able to make this signing because the math doesn't work as well if one of Pearson or Pullman isn't on LTIR to start the season. They both have to be on LTIR to make this work. Yeah, the the the, the phrase you got to get used to, and, and Patrick Alvin's already used it and has already alluded to it, but compliance more yeah. so than space. <laughs> we'll be cap compliant. They'll be cap compliant. They're not going to have cap space. Mm-hmm. Now, distinction without a difference to ice a team with all uh, 20 of your skaters, certainly. But uh, the, the job, and which is why I've been a bit muted about this offseason, I still think, you know, they, they made smart bets. To me, it's still a B- minus because your offseason is not just about the players you bring in. It's also, the, it's also about the players you move out. Mm-hmm. And there hasn't been enough of that in the reality that they want to create, which is cap space. That obviously just has not materialized. They, they do it with the OEL buyout, but that is like a mm-hmm. last desperation, this is the only option we have left type of move. I liked it for the sake of what it means as the mentality of, or, of the organization. But just looking at the, if you're only looking at the numbers and the cap, it's an onerous move to do. Yeah. But from from what this organization needs, they just need, need more of a serious mentality of like, we're committed to the idea of winning. Yes. And no matter the cost, buying out Oliver Ekman Larson is committing to that idea. Uh, Kevin from Calgary, out of defensemen that played a decent number of games last year, Hronik was 30th in points per games played. I think they have two top-pairing defensemen in the team this year, first time in a long time. It, it's true. The raw numbers are there. I'm not going to dispute the facts. It's also true that for the first part of the season, he was running the power play over Mort Sider. Yeah. And then he suddenly wasn't, and... The numbers started to dip. To dip a little bit. He's not going to play top power play minutes in Vancouver. Un- unless unless they think the, the 2D man thing is something that they can pull Oh, man. Off. It was so rough when they tried it. And I know it was like, hey, Heronik's here. We're only going to play games, him for a few games. Shoulder injury. Um, I just don't like that idea in general. How many teams are playing with two defensemen on their top unit? Like, I want to see if Pittsburgh does it. Yeah. And realistically? Well, San Jose did it for a while with yeah. Carlson and Burns, and it was awful. Yeah. It doesn't work. I mean, it has to have a very distinct sort of look if it is going to work. It's it's not that it doesn't work. It just it doesn't work in 2023. Yeah. When everyone's trying to be more efficient on the power play and playing four forwards. Hey, 15, 25 years ago. Yeah. Pronger, McKinnis, let's throw them out there. Fantastic outcome. But, but it's also like, well, just keep Pronick at the top of – you know, the the pyramid and, you know, let him bomb shots away. It's like, well, we've sort of learned that's not really a very efficient shot exactly. to take from the blue line. Yeah. So why would you take that? There's a time and a place for it, sure, but you don't want that to be one of your main weapons as mm-hmm. a top power play unit because it's not going to work. Like the uh, the uh, days uh, of Sheldon Shure and, and uh, uh, Adriana Coyne are long gone. Marc-Andre Bergeron and <laughs> Markov, yeah. Man, that Adrian Acoin year, though, was electric. Woo. How many goals did he score? He's like 24 goals that season. You had him in fantasy, didn't you? Uh, of course. 
Or, uh, or or in some hockey pool, you're like, hey, my last pick, Adrian Coin. Everybody remembers that 20 goal scorer that was a defenseman, right? Mm-hmm. You know, there was like Brian McCabe once, Mike Green. Oh, I had Mike uh, Green in fantasy that year. Yeah, was, Mike Green was, was unreal that season. Um, and then it's like teams sort of understood. Oh wait, this point shot isn't really all that great and efficient. So we're going to stop doing it. <laughs> and goalies got significantly better. Yeah, that's that significantly too. better. That sort of helped, right? And that's why you don't see a ton of teams, or really any teams, using the big shot from the point all that often anymore. And that's why I don't think even if Heronic were to work on the top power play unit, would you necessarily want that? If anything, he'd probably play the left half wall and maybe you set him up right. for the, the one-timer there. But The booming blue line slap shot goal is almost like the fadeaway yes. at the elbow in the NBA now. It's like, hey, it looks cool when it happens. Yes. Like Shea Weber puts one through the net. It's like, mm-hmm. Wow, I want to watch that highlight all of the time. But it's like running the football. Yeah. <laughs> it looks cool, but you should probably try to create your offense elsewhere. Yeah, you should probably get closer to the net or as close to the net as you possibly can. Set a screen and drain a three. That's basically what we're asking <laughs> teams to do do you get an extra point for scoring from the blue line that would be cool no you don't do not come up with new (laughs) new boxes on the ice that yeah uh, i am not jeff merrick yeah (laughs) come up with a box on the ice where it's like if you score a goal from here it's actually worth two goals if you had a box okay (laughs) from the dots i'm talking about okay let's say about five feet okay we're not doing okay we're doing this actually let's say less than five feet say three feet okay from, the, from is it the, like sort sort of the the size of the crease no i'm gonna say from inside the dots okay just a rectangle outside the blue line okay that if the puck comes in this and you want to shoot it from here like you can one time it from outside the blue line but yeah. if it goes in it's worth more <laughs> okay that's getting a little too excessive probably not realistic <laughs> we're basically just creating new uh Creating new things. Yeah. This is <laughs> this is video game this stuff. This is a slam like, ball version of hockey. <laughs> Skate over the tracer. Now it's two times goals for the next 30 seconds. Have you watched slam ball at all? Uh, not the new one. No. I kind of, I, I don't know. There's we so all felt it was going to be fun. And it was like, oh, look. But it's like, all I really care about is the Twitter highlights. I'm not going to like sit that's, there and watch a slam ball game. That's 1,000% what I'm doing. <laughs> right? I'll see the odd clip and I'm like, yeah, slam ball rules. Yep. Do I have any idea who's on any <laughs> roster? Am I doing the <laughs> analytics for like, hey, bounces per 60? Yeah, no. Who, who's a good defensive blocker? I, I don't need to know it's who the happening. best rim protector is in slam ball, you know? It's just it's just not happening. Um, there's there's I've said this before. It's like there's too much content. Yeah. So it's like I can't absorb. There's only so like much I can Preseason NFL, EPL, mm-hmm. Women's World Cup this summer, all these things. It's just... Sorry, slam ball. Like you fell by the wayside. Um, I want. I want to be on board, but I'm on board for like the viral sensations. That's it. Give me the Twitter highlights. I'm probably not doing all that much more with slam ball. But hey, uh, the old version of slam ball. I was but, all on board. This is the thing with nostalgia, though. It's like when you play. I don't know now. NHL '94 or something. You're like fired up. Oh, this is the best. They, they, used, they don't make games like this anymore. And then you're like. Oh, it's kind of boring. <laughs> like no, after five love, minutes of playing Super I, Mario, you're like, oh. I, no, no, that's a bad take. I get the nostalgic hit, and I, I love, that's all I need. I'm I good. I love the old video games, man. Mm. 
Bad take. Maybe it's because you played NHL 94 and you got run up against a bunch of pros. <laughs> That's what happened. It, it kind of. You yes. were just losing. Well, who you like? Who knew that the, like the the optimal way to play NHL 94 was to have manual goalie on all the time. Yeah, that's chaos. Who's doing that? <laughs> the pros, apparently. Yeah. I didn't need to know that. Uh, all right. Coming up, hour two, we're going to get into uh, some other things. Blue Jays. I um, So I was on a road trip mm-hmm. this past week. was in Seattle and Portland. I feel like everyone went down south this weekend. Yeah, it was, I guess it was a good weekend. It was everyone on my super Instagram. hot. Everyone on the Instagram was like, Seattle yeah. at the Mariners game, doing this, Pike Place, everywhere. Yeah. It was like uh, 40 degrees yesterday as we were driving back. I'm like, is my car going to burn? <laughs> it didn't It didn't feel great. Uh, but on the way back up from Portland, we started getting into the Seattle area. I turned on the Mariners game. They were playing the Orioles. I never connected with the Mariners and with Mariners fans as much as I did in a moment yesterday. We'll tell you about that, plus get into the Blue Jays with Zach Ward, and that's next on The People Show.